Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of the Empire Podcast all about Cartoon Saloon. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara, and with me are two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Please welcome Ben Travis. Hello. I heard there was a podcast recording about animation happening and I just turned up. You didn't invite me. I'm here anyway. It is inevitable. You are like Thanos that way. And of course, we're also joined by John Nugent. Hello. Hello. I don't have a podcast about animation, but I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here as well, and both of you. So just to explain what we're doing here, we recently did an interview with the founders of the Irish animation studio Cartoon Saloon, and by that I mean Tom Moore, Paul Young, and Nora Toomey, uh, because they are currently celebrating the studio's 25th anniversary, and there's a season of their films that's been shown at the BFI in London to celebrate. Now, of course, with our usual flair for wonderful timing, we've missed most of the season, which uh, I think uh, culminates this weekend. But we did want to mark the occasion anyway, because they're ace, quite frankly. Um, Not for nothing were they nominated for Best Animated Feature, I think four times in a row, for The Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, The Breadwinner, and Wolfwalkers. That's just a, a fraction of their output, but it is, let's be honest, the cream of the crop. So, Ben, John and myself are going to have a bit of a chat about their films. But first, please enjoy the the, uh, interview that I did recently with Tom, Paul and Nora. Paul Young, Norma Tui and um, Tom Moore, how are you doing? doing Good, good. thank you. How are you? Very well, thank you. And I cannot believe it is 25 years this year of Cartoon Saloon. Congratulations, you are already a quarter the age of Disney. That's got to feel good. Feels like we just started somehow, you know. Yeah. We did. In the scale of everything to do with animation and how long everything takes with animation, I think uh, I think it's uh, yeah, all good. Yeah, I was going to ask because, you know, it, it takes, what, maybe five years from start to finish on a film? I don't know, maybe more, maybe less. But, you know, it, it, it must be the equivalent of, of a live action studio being about four years in. It is. I mean, and again, if you take it from like original concept all the way through, I mean, which is similar enough with live action, you often hear directors talking about, you know, them finally producing something that took them like 10 or 20 years uh, to make, or sometimes they have to, you know, work off the success of, you know, something that they do, some big blockbuster to get to make their passion project. I guess we were lucky Mm. uh, in and met the right people at the right time and put the right amount of work in, I guess, over the first uh, number of years anyway, you know, which was uh, which was really great. I imagine the right amount of work was all of the work. Is that right? <laughs> well, we were a little late on the call because we we're up to our eyes all the time. It's amazing, like how much work it is, and not just the drawing, just all the running of so many people and everything. So we're happy victims of our success, you know. I mean, these are good problems to have. So, what what size is the studio now? Talk talk me through it. We're about a uh, hundred people at the moment. We, um, we are usually between like a hundred and two hundred and fifty, uh, depending on where we are with particular projects. So right now we're winding down a couple of projects. We have a whole new slate of new things uh, coming up. So yeah, we're we're kind of comfortable around the kind of one hundred and fifty, two hundred mark, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of artists, animators, and support staff that uh, come together here in Kilkenny uh, to yeah to make our make our films. And of course, we work with co-producers around the world as well that's a really integral part especially of the the feature films that that we make we work with uh, a co-producer in uh, Luxembourg quite uh, a lot of uh, studio 352 there and with Folivari in France and so we yeah we we continue to have kind of great relationships with like-minded similar sized companies from around the world who just want to tell the same kind of stories we do 
I mean, that was one of the things I wanted to ask about, you know, is this is this the way to be independent now? Because, you know, I think after the success of Secret of Kells, I think you had offers, presumably, from bigger places to kind of get folded into bigger companies where you would have been maybe a cog in the machine. But, you know, you've you've kept your own course, you've kept a kind of belief in what, what you guys do. But does that mean partnerships rather than sort of buyouts, I guess, are the way to, way to go? Well, what's nice is we're finding a nice happy medium now, finally. Like for a long time, we kind of stuck to our guns and I found the European co-production model kind of the best way to make my own stuff because there was no one big funder telling me what to do. It was lots of little funders and lots of partners. And so the kind of director slash producer position I was in was a very powerful one. I got to keep my, for better or worse, you know, my my artistic final say and final cut and all of that stuff that's really valuable to people in Hollywood, you know, um, because it was just a, fa- a factor of how the project was funded. And then, you know, we've had some happy uh, relationships more recently with, um, you know, bigger studios that come to us. And thankfully, having seen what we do, when we do have artistic autonomy, they're willing to give us a lot of artistic freedom. And so Paul had a really successful experience recently making a short film with Lucasfilm, you know, and it came out feeling very cartoon saloony. So I'm I'm happy to say that we can kind of do both, you know. Yeah. It really did. That was that was adorable, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to ask about that that kind of animation community as well because it feels like you know I've t- I've talked to some of you guys over the years. I've talked to Ardman, you know, I've talked to as well as you know Pixar and Luke and uh, DreamWorks and the rest. And it feels like there is an animation community. There's a lot of kind of talking to each other, comparing notes, comparing experiences in making films. I mean, how valuable is that to you guys? Yeah, I mean, the community and also us look like you kind of look to other companies like Ghibli and Ardman as as kind of like, are we a bit like them? Do we like what parts of their story do we want to kind of emulate and what parts are unique to us? Because they're all existing in different environments at different times with different different personalities. But those are the types of companies that we hope to be like. And we're fans of so many studios around the world. And there's really you know, there's like it, but then there's really exciting stuff coming up in Europe. Um, lots of smaller studios that are, yeah. yeah. And you're you're part of a chain as well. I'm aware that like we've often had people who start out as interns here, and then they go yeah. and set up their own company, and then we co-produce with that company. So you're 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 where it's not just the the heritage of what you might have been inspired uh, by as a young person, but then also that you might help inspire be part of the journey of um you know new artists coming up so um some of the people that i actually our managing director jerry sharon um very early in our careers uh, met tom and paul at um some animation markets and just said it's you know he took them under his wing and kind of you know showed them who they should speak to and kind of gave them advice of it's always good to just show up even if you've nothing to nothing to show just just uh, be there so that you're just part of uh, you know, um, people's awareness, but that kind of sharing um, attitude is, uh, you know, really throughout the entire animation industry. I think there is a lot to be said for people who continue to draw, you know, when, when they grow up, you know, when you, you know, that watershed when you're 10 and you start drawing because you might feel it's a bit, you know, um, you know, embarrassing or whatever, the people who continue on kind of still acts as part of their imagination, but also part of their forward thinking that they're able to kind of imagine 
well, you know, um, th- th- that you can see the use of this um, meeting, for example, but but in the future there might be, you know, there might this might spark something in somebody else's uh, imagination about a, an opportunity that might be, you know, that might you know become available in five years' time. Kind of call it for what it is. It's fellow geeks hanging out talking <laughs> tunes and comics and things we love, and I think that's why the community is so warm. <sighs> I count as personal friends, some people that had originally been heroes of mine when I was studying animation, you know, and that's what's lovely about this medium, this art form. Everyone in it is doing it because they love it. And we're like Revenge of the Nerds now or something. You know, <laughs> we're the ones in school reading comics and doing flip books in the corner of our school books, you know. I think I remember uh, talking to you, Paul and Tom, at the uh, Belfast Film Festival the year you were just launching Secret of Kells. It was just a I think it was at the festival, maybe, and about I hadn't even come out yet. But you were you'd been to visit DreamWorks and you were raving about that wordless scene in How to Train Your Dragon, you know. So you were just like excited by other people's work as much as your own, which was really lovely to see. And I sure. think vice versa, having talked to people at DreamWorks now who who rave similarly about your Song of the Sea and, and everything else, you know. The people in America were really welcoming and good to us, actually. And in the UK, when we go over there, yeah, it's like a kind of, even in Ireland, we call it like a co-opetition between the studios because it takes so long to get a TV series off the ground or a film get off the ground. You kind of celebrate when other people actually manage to do that. I think they should give prizes to people just for getting the money together. Like if you can just finish a film, you should get a big parade or something because it's so difficult just to get it takes so long. So there's a sort of I think everybody who works in animation knows, understands how hard it is to get a film made or a TV series. So they kind of celebrate really have an opportunity to celebrate each other because it's very rare you're coming out at the same time. It can take you four to five years to get one film done or similar for a TV series. You're not like going, oh my God, next year they're going to have this. Or it's never like that. So you, you you just as if you can get it finished, it's brilliant, and everybody mm-hmm. kind of celebrates it. And yeah. we've always felt that because we we come from a very re- reasonably remote part of Ireland, and so our travel has been part of the fun for me was was being able to go out and travel as well and meet people. And um, in in the early days, I found that really invigorating because you you, you it's so welcoming. Yeah. The whole animation community, yeah, everywhere. Well, uh, tell me about something like the Star Wars experience. Like, what you know, what's what's the timeline on something like that? Does the fact that it's a big studio that you're working with make it faster, or just make mean that there's um, so much red tape you could throw yourself a parade? Well, gosh, I didn't have that experience with them. Um, the the executives in Lucasfilm, um, Jackie James and Josh and and Jane, there, the people that we worked with, it, it started with just a phone call with them asking, would we like to do one? You know, the, the Star Wars visions where they had done anime ones. And so it was a lovely compliment to be asked. And it was very much like we want you to do it cartoon saloon style. We want it to be a cartoon saloon does Star Wars. So there was great freedom to it where they there was no canon involved. We didn't have to worry about, you know, not messing up any major storylines. It was just like, let's do it. Let's open it up to like, let's do a short that's kind of almost like a like a ghost, like a like a kind of different like uh, almost like a fairy tale of Star Wars. It could be anything. They really left it open for the studios to interpret the galaxy or the universe the way you wanted to. So it was really, the. the I mean, obviously it's great because they come with the budget. So you don't have to worry about raising the budget. If you, it, they allowed us to pitch two ideas and we knew they were going to do one. And thankfully from the get-go, they really love the kind of ghost story type 
Irishy flavored um, Star Wars story we came up with. So they were, it was really easy. It was a really lovely experience actually mm. with them. It was a really good experience. And and we didn't feel the the kind of notes that we got were very helpful rather than blocking anything. It right. was like encouraging, yeah. you know, so very good experience, I must say. And it did feel very much, you know, in the tradition of Song of the Sea or Wolf Walkers or, yeah. or you know, one of your other films, which is which is what you want from a little from bit Sanford. older. We were able to do something a bit darker. Mm. It was nice to be able to play in something that was quite spooky or it was quite dark, actually. Yeah. A little bit. But we always go a little bit dark anyway. <laughs> there's suit there's definitely scary fil- bits in your films, as because I've tried watching mm. them with my my small niece and nephew. Um, but uh, it's it's interesting to me. I mean, is that something you want to kind of explore more? Would you like to do more kind of quote unquote adult and animation, whatever that means? Because um, you know you had Puff and Rock, super cute last year, but definitely skewing younger. You know, is it is it something that you want to kind of expand the age range, or are you kind of in a groove that's working? Um, there's a few things on the slate coming up. I would say Nora, Nora and Tom and myself are are working hard on what the next six, seven years output is going to be, or the next 10 years, actually. What am I saying? Six years is like one film. <laughs> so the next, you know, so so I think there's a few things where we are still kind of skewing like for kids and there's a few preschools in there. And I suppose the the Star Wars short is probably at a certain upper range that we've ever gone. I don't know if we have anything at the moment that goes really into the more adult, maybe more mature uh, thing. I think it's just our wheelhouse has always been. I think we have between the tree, sorry, between the three of us as creators and directors, slightly different takes on yeah. things. I know for me that I would be happy to finish out my career making movies that are like the trilogy I did where I think it's kind of a privilege because it might be somebody's first ever movie like I still remember the first movies I saw way more than the movies I've seen as an adult and I always end up because I feel like there's a responsibility to when you're making something independent to do something that probably wouldn't get made in the mainstream so they're not you know pure kiddie fair they're always pretty um, tough themes and even times in history that are reasonably dark so I always find it an interesting and a, a cool challenge to try and make a movie that like, you know, eight to 10 year olds can enjoy, but, you know, adults can also enjoy. I always love there's a, a Chuck Jones quote that I always remember when we get asked questions like that. And he says, your job is to make something as sophisticated and interesting enough to keep children entertained, but simple enough for adults <laughs> to be able to enjoy it as well. You know? That's uh, genuinely that's that's about right. I think because <laughs> watching my small niece and nephew uh, consume things and and pick holes in things has been really eye opening for me as a film critic. So, so yeah. honest, they don't pull any punches. Yeah. No, and and they they often want to challenge themselves. Oftentimes, as adults, we want to wrap them in cotton wool and not have them, you know, be challenged in any kind of a, a, a way. Um, somebody that works with was talking about uh, her uh, daughter who's nine who's reading the Harry Potter um, you know uh, series but uh, she's now sleeping with the light on as well you know she's uh, uh, but then what really wants to be part of the world and really so she's finding something safe within her environment to challenge herself as she grows 
Uh, and I mean, if you can be part of that in some way and also, you know, um, provide entertainment and joy and, you know, a kind of a sophistication of storytelling that really speaks to audiences. I mean, that's all you can really hope for. But that's something that the the length of time that it takes to even craft a storyboard or an animatic for an animated feature, it allows you to layer your story in a way where adults will see something and, you know, younger audiences will see something else and then younger audiences audiences again we'll, we'll see something but our job isn't to not challenge anyone ever you know yeah so what can you tell us about what next what's next is it is it julianne i think was on the slate at, that, at one point is that going to be yeah. next thing up that would be the next feature it's for it's at the early stages now we're on like third or maybe no no probably fifth or sixth draft of the script and we're beginning boarding which is very exciting we just had a big meeting about it the other day with the whole team which was great and so that would be the next. We're still, you know, as usual, it's a European co-production. We're finding partners and we're still sort of starting, hoping that that last bit of finance will come in, which is always where you're you're still trying to, to we're still applying for things, but we're, we're very confident that we'll get there. And then there'll be another feature that um, I said, I will do Tom was a really interesting feature coming up. And then the whole slate of um, a, a few TV ideas. Um, we're kind of expanding the cartoon saloon universe a bit you know we're looking at like not direct sequels or anything like it but we're looking at the kind of the dna and the heart of the stuff that we've done before and seeing how can we push that forward so for example the feature that i'm working on isn't signed to anybody yet so i can talk about it until someone tells me not to and it's it's about the friendship between ireland and the choctaw nation in america mm, yeah yeah happened during the famine and you know there's a little bit of my own family history woven into the emigration story that so many Irish families have and I'm really enjoying exploring another culture working with Choctaw consultants a Choctaw writer and digging into my own family history from around the time at that time of all the emigration and I think there's like rich stories to be told about Irish people abroad because yeah. we've definitely spread ourselves as a small nation i think if everyone came home we'd sink the island you know what I mean? <laughs> so there's stories to be told so that's the kind of stuff i'm interested in looking mm. at yeah i'm always fascinated that there aren't more irish films and tv out there because there's such a large irish american population for example in the states you know, you think we'd be drowning in it. I, I wonder sometimes if it's that they have a very fixed idea of what ireland is that doesn't necessarily incorporate everything it is you know sort of the legends the mythology the the kind of culture of ireland i think they have a slightly cottagey based vision of what the country is i i think that i've been lucky that in my career i've seen that changing like i remember st patrick's day in boston and we were showing secret of kells and it had been nominated for an oscar so it had a bit of buzz around it and the cinemas were full and people were pining me pining me pining so maybe i'm remembering it in a rosy way but i remember sort of having the feeling of like yeah people are up for talking about what ireland really is and what the real is you know they they didn't need it to be dressed up like darby o'gill they they were happy and interested you know and these were people who were maybe second and third generation yeah. who considered themselves irish but they were flocking to come and see it so i think yeah we're living through a time where people identity and stuff is really important to people and also people are interested in the real the real thing and i think it, we after all like the films we make are our point of view the next generation will tell irish stories again and it'll be different again because they're always changing you know they're always adapting to the to the times that you're living in and there's a little grain of truth in them all that keeps them alive 
But like, yeah, like, for example, like my version of the Selkie story, and how I told that, like, that's just one version. And the next generation will do something with it again. And that's what will keep it alive. And I think that's why Irish culture will kind of continue to seep out, you know, by staying relevant rather than fossilized into sort of plastic leprechauns or something, you know. Just very quickly before we, we wrap up, can you tell me, you know, what what animation you've been inspired by or that you've really enjoyed in the last couple of years? Is there anything that really stands out to you? I'm delighted to see mainstream, big budget animated films like the Spider-Verse or mm. the Turtle that look like they look like the comics I read in the 90s up on screen. Because I was always frustrated that animation always looked like Disney style or anime style and it's just drawings so you can do anything and comics were always so experimental and even as a kid I kind of wondered did I prefer to work in comics because there was more artistic opportunity so to see the language of comic books and illustration being freeing the medium up I'm and I'm just a geek Spider-Man childhood amazing yeah and so Spider-Verse has knocked my socks off lately yeah 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 and I think you're you're starting to see um just a lot a lot of different kind of uh, techniques being used in in film as well you're getting to see as well the generation of young people who were the first ones to choose what they wanted to watch themselves on streaming yeah. services and their um tastes being broadened and following story whether it's like something that was you know really cheaply uh, created or something that like had you know a 200 million uh, budget they will just follow a story and, and follow good characters and so seeing them grow um uh, and I mean a lot of them are storytellers themselves through social media they found a way to tell their own stories uh, and so they have a, a completely different experience of of what it is and so that's that's just yeah it's really interesting and seeing more people become filmmakers as well yeah. you know when we when we started, it was just the sweet spot where people had stopped, uh, you know, using rostrum cameras and you know cells and all of this, and it became more affordable for a couple of people to just get together with one or two computers and a couple of scanners, and that you could make start making something. So we um, took advantage of that technological uh, and digital breakthrough. Uh, you know, at the beginnings of the internet where you could co-produce with a company in a, in a different part of the world, different time zone, and you could communicate easily enough with each other. There's another techni- uh, technological breakthrough now. Um, well, um, I, yeah, I'm like the, like the two guys. I'm very inspired by it. There seems to be a bit of a renaissance for kind of interesting artistic 2D animation that's leaking into almost that was becoming kind of a... CGI animation become fairly crystallized into a certain type of way of doing things. And now... 2D artistic expressionistic kind of animation and abstract animation is kind of bouncing in and even just looking at the films that have come out lately there was some amazing short films there that I've seen some from South America that were also there was one called Carne de Dio which is definitely mature which is beautiful artwork in it as well and 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 a, and a beautiful French one I'm trying to remember the name of that French one anyway it shouldn't be but the, the there's some great uh, uh, stories being told um, from France in particular, because it was always like we we always found French animation very inspiring because mm. it was like Bandazine comics, the way that the style of their films were so varied and art- and different looking one to the, from one to the next. We had this lovely influence from them. And then the great what I would say great, probably more 
sometimes more more powerful storytelling coming from like the UK and the US, sometimes mm. a different type of storytelling. And so we had try to mix it up. So there's a lovely clash of storytelling happening, artistic um, endeavors happening between Europe and UK and the US and now in South America. So like I think we're really lucky to be living through the maturity. Like in the 90s, I remember it was, again, a super geeky thing to go to the bottom shelf right at the back of the DV- of the VHS shop to get Akira or Legend of the Overfiend or Fist of the North Star or Appleseed, all these like anime that I grew up on. They were like rare gems and now they're like mainstream, like yeah. young people only watch anime more than they watch Western animation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really opened up the medium. Like I remember back in the nineties bemoaning the fact that no one in the West would ever have made like an Akira. Yeah. And we were watching Akira going like, this is crazy. And this, and manga, like reading the comics from Japan, realizing, well, comics don't have to be the Beano or Batman. They can actually be about anything, you know? Yeah. And so I love that. That's finally, I mean, I'm in my forties now, late forties. Now it's finally seems to be that, the dream of the 90s has arrived and it's like every every subject matter is available and there's audiences for every subject matter in in comics and in animation yeah. like it always has been in japan you know and yeah. films we were just saying like chicken for linda uh robot dreams uh unicorn uh wars um, and short films as well if you look at the crop of short films uh that that come out uh, every year and again are you know can uh, are, are accessible on online um yeah uh, they're just incredible things you're seeing amazing things happening with technique and amazing things happening with with storytelling and then pushing the medium i mean you know you're talking about family audiences for animation but that's not to say that is just all that animation ever needs to be and you know that the, there is a huge movement you know that talks about animation uh being film uh, and rather than a you know rather than a genre, I think. Um, uh, and our friends in G Kids have enjoyed the boy and the heron being top of the US box office. Like it's yeah. a really for and not just for animation, but for kind of unusual animation or mm. arty animation or something. It's a really great. Mm. Yeah, Paul and I were talking just before we started about the uh, My Neighbor Totoro stage show, which I just saw the other week, which is just out of this world, absolutely mm. incredible. We're going to so. go see it on Monday night. Hey. Which you, I don't know when this podcast comes out, but Monday. You'll you'll be safely out again. You won't be mobbed on your way in, so you're you're okay. <laughs> but uh, but no, it's 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 an absolutely uh, incredible thing. So it's it's lovely to see something like that, which again could not have been done, you know, twenty or thirty years ago. So uh, it's exciting times, anyway. Um, well, listen, I will I will let you get back to work. It sounds like you've got your 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 hands full, and uh, and the twenty fifth anniversary sort of season is is continuing at the BFI. I know you guys, by the time this goes out, you will have spoken there. I'm sure you will have said incredible and interesting things. Um, but uh, but yeah, are you have you got anything planned for your uh, for your anniversary there in Kilkenny? We oh, we yeah. we have a few maybe interesting screenings, and we were planning a big party at the end of the year because we also host a festival here in Kilkenny called Kilkenny Animated, where we we bring the whole point of it was to bring people we really like or are interested in over to talk to them in front of other people who might be interested, and also to sort of educate and illuminate people on you know what animation is and how it's made. So we might have a big big do in October here, but we might trickle it through the year with a few different screenings. We we actually have for the festival a giant inflatable screen, so we might be able to project stuff around yeah, the top. really lucky. Like, all our partners around the world are celebrating with mm-hmm. us. Like, in Japan, they're re-releasing, Child Film are re-releasing Song of the Sea. In Portugal, Monstra, 
festival or dedicating the, a lot of the festival to our our slate or stuff we've made so far and so on. There's stuff happening everywhere. So it's really lovely. It feels like all, all the friendships we made over the 25 years are kind of coming to fruition. And it's really nice. Yeah, awesome. I have to really thank the BFI people because they kind of kicked it off. We weren't quite thinking like that. And then they went, here, you're 25 years. And we went, oh, gosh, yes, we are. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it was almost like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were very good to 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 do a whole month, which is really, really uh, lovely of them to do yeah. that. And we've had a like a, a UK uh, premiere of most of our films there, I think, from yeah. Song of the Sea, The Breadwinner, uh, Wolf Walkers. Uh, yeah. We're all we're all premiered uh, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, um, well, happy birthday. Uh, hope you have lots of cake all year, all year, as I understand it. Um, and yeah, talk to you soon. Look forward to seeing whatever's next. Thanks, Thanks very much, Alan. Cheers. All right. Well, that was Tom Moore, Paul Young and Nora Toomey. Um, ben and John, hello again. What? Tell me about this. What was your introduction to Cartoon Saloon? How did you learn that they existed? For me, it was around Song of the Sea. I watched Song of the Sea at home. I think I was hungover. It was a weekend. And I was like, hey, I need something kind of easy and nice to watch. I've heard this is really good. And I put it on and was just emotionally swept away by this movie. I think it both cured my hangover and completely destroyed me for the rest of the day. Um, And from that moment, I was just enchanted by them. I love the films of theirs that I've seen and they have a very distinctive style that I think is what we kind of love about them Mm. how you know a cartoon saloon project when you see it how about you John yeah Song of the Sea was my entry point as well I um, went to a press screening of it with a friend a male friend and you know we're both like just two grown-ups being like oh why are we going to see some stupid kids film for kids and then at the end we were both like uh yeah no i wasn't crying that, that was just uh yeah that was just just, just my eyes are just sweaty yeah my face is just <laughs> leaking a bit it's nothing you know trying to be all and then we eventually admitted that it yes it was an emotional whirlwind um and an incredibly beautiful one at that and i it you know um Cartoon Saloon gets described as sort of like the Irish studio Ghibli a lot, which is a sort of very lazy thing that journalists like to say. But uh, they are very much their own thing. They're very distinctive and they are Irish to their core and they bring a lot of this like Irish mythology, especially in those three films that I think they've called a trilogy now, like Mm -hmm. Secret of the Kells, um, Song of the Sea and Wolfwalkers, which really like draw from that that sort of tradition um, and use a lot of that imagery and and that storytelling techniques that there's really no one else like them they're they're quite they're they're kind of unique in that way Mm. well not to sound fancy but i was on them way earlier than you guys um (laughs) so one time in my life i've actually been invited to the belfast film festival to to i think i was speaking to school children there and they very kindly invited me out for dinner that evening and i was sitting next to this this guy this filmmaker who i didn't really know much about at the beginning of dinner and we just got chatting and it turned out that was Tom Moore. So Paul Young was just seated uh, seated across the table from us and they were there talking about The Secret of Kells. And just the the concept of that, I hadn't seen the film at that point. I wasn't at the screening that they were they were holding at the festival that year. But just the concept, I was like, I need to see this film. This is amazing. Um 
the, the Book of Kells, for anybody who doesn't know, is uh, an Irish illuminated Bible from something like the 8th century. It's, it's very old, but it is absolutely elaborately illuminated and painted. We had a facsimile copy in our house because it's just such a big part of kind of Irish culture. It's a really, it's a, a treasure of the country. It's held at Trinity College in Dublin. You can go and visit it. Um, and the idea of sort of hooking an animated film around the creation of that book, I thought was amazing, absolutely amazing. And the way that they incorporate the art of the book and the themes, the, the, the sort of the themes of the art into the film is just jaw-droppingly beautiful. So yeah, I was basically on board from from then on. Yeah. And I think the things you say there, Helen, for me is why as much as I as I get what you're saying, John, that the like Irish Studio Ghibli thing feels reductive, but I think what people mean by that when they say it is that just as Ghibli films feel like they're presented in an art style and have storytelling that feels very culturally specific to Japan, I think people feel that with cartoon saloon movies, especially as you say, the sort of Irish folklore trilogy in drawing from art styles from Ireland in like specific, culturally specific folk stories from Ireland, bringing that into their work. I think maybe in a more general sense, people don't quite have the the language necessarily to distinguish, well, this is animated, but it doesn't feel like Disney or Pixar. Mm. And I guess it's kind of Ghibli-ish because it feels kind of artsy. But I think there is something in the, yeah, the, the, the inherent Irishness of it all, from the way that it looks to the sorts of stories they tell and how they tell them. I, I can see that kind of being why they they get that label sometimes. Yeah, they're ve- they're very much their own thing. Um and also I should add not to sound fancy, but I actually own an original piece of cartoon saloon art uh Ooh. in the sense that so I interviewed Tom Moore and Ross Stewart for Wolfwalkers a couple of years ago and it was over Zoom and Tom Moore kept looking down and I was a bit confused like why he wasn't making eye contact with me over the the zoom camera and then like halfway through the interview he like said you've got great hair john and then just showed me that and that's oh my goodness oh my god okay so it's it's not just that you have cartoon saloon art because i have a sketch like you know Mm. of of one of the characters from the secret of kells you have cartoon saloon art of yourself you have a portrait sorry i know this doesn't really translate in podcast form but yes tom moore did a an unauthorized portrait of me which i was more than happy for him to do and uh yeah i was was like ridiculously flattering that this amazing you might be listening to this thinking oh what like a hasty sketch in a zoom it maybe was no this is the most lavishly detailed picture of john i've seen it's more lavish and detailed than actual john yeah it's if anything it's over flattering i i look far too nice um but I'm basically canon, is what I'm saying. Is that I exist within the cartoon saloon universe. I don't have any cartoon saloon artwork. If you happen to have a spare mm. selkie around <laughs> that needs a home, please send it my way. Wow, thanks, thanks, Ben. Really, uh, really <laughs> professional there. That's great. Um, but no, it's. It, I mean, it is. It is lovely to see. You know, something that is so determined to go its own way and forge its own path. And I think. I mean, they didn't talk too much about it in the interview, but reading between the lines and, and you know, having read interviews with them over the years and done interviews with them over the years, I think it has sometimes been a struggle to be an independent animation studio. Uh, we know that Ardman, for example, has 
come under pressure from bigger partners over the years, distributors and uh, studio co-partners to cast big stars, you know, uh, rather than the character actors that they they have maybe worked with in the past. And I think it's notable that Cartoon Saloon really, if you look at their cast lists and everything else, almost no stars. Brendan Gleeson, fantastic, but almost no other recognisable names in that sense, because they are determined to just work with the people they want to work with and leave those considerations aside. And maybe that is why we've had four Oscar nominations in a row for those four films. Yeah, they've they've obviously, like a lot of the smaller, like, like Aardman has, they've worked with bigger distributors and studios. I think uh, Wolfwalkers was with Apple and mm. My Father's Dragon was for Netflix, but they still retain that that unique um, sensibility, you know, even My Father's Dragon, which is maybe their most, like, you could say commercial film, it's still got the, the that sort of gorgeous, like, almost abstract illustrative style. The backgrounds look feel like they're from some incredible picture book for kids it's 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 driven more by the art than by you know the commercial viability um and it's amazing i mean they i think they're still based in um kilkenny and oh, yeah. like yep. you know the same digs they've had for years basically in the high town in this you know old stone building a bit like ardman in you know like a bristol sort of industrial estate like they still have these sort of quite humble um origins uh and you you know you 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 feel that in the films i think you get a sense of their personality as filmmakers in all of their films completely and i hope that they can just stay the course with what they're doing because it must be really difficult as you say for them to stay independent to not feel overwhelming pressure to do those things like casting big name actors and maybe compromising certain bits of their kind of artistic values to try and get that bigger recognition but i think what they've done with the handful of feature films they've made is cultivate a really, really strong reputation for themselves within the animation industry, within Irish cinema, within, you know, the, the British Isles in general. I feel like they're becoming more well-known here. And that maybe, like, if they just keep doing that and building up this incredible body of work, at some point they will get their crossover moments. As you say, Wolf Walker's was on Apple TV Plus. I still don't think that movie is massively well known beyond no. sort of film heads and animation heads. Yeah. Obviously, it got Oscar nominations, but you know, even within that, best animated feature films can still fly quite significantly under the radar for general audiences. But it could be something where, like with Ghibli, where there was you know a long, long time before they had their crossover moment with Spirited Away, and really particularly in the last couple of years have gone totally global because of the Netflix deal, it feels like if Cartoon Saloon got that opportunity at some point down the line with the body of work that they already have, that suddenly people discover this deep bench of amazing stuff they've made, that would be an ideal situation. I, I hope they can stick it out mm. until they get to that point without having to compromise anything. I, yeah, I, th I think the perhaps the 
place most like general audiences know their work from are like the TV cartoons. You know, there's there's a couple that I'm not familiar with, but I I, I ha- like Skunk Foo. I've not come across, which is a fantastic <laughs> title. But uh, Puffin Rock, I have watched a few episodes of, and that is just beautiful. I mean, it's mm. very much it's it's aimed for quite a young audience like a sort of I think maybe four or five year olds or even younger perhaps but I've recommended that to every single parent friend of mine it is just delightful it's so peaceful to watch I mean Ben was mentioning like hangover watches I have definitely watched that when my head has been a bit sore <laughs> it is it is like the most wholesome it's like an injection of wholesomeness into your face um, and they they adapted that into a into a feature length thing last year as well which was yes I haven't seen but I've heard is equally it's, delightful it's super cute I went along to that I mean, even with my love of Cartoon Saloon, thinking, oh, come on, this is for baby. I'm not a baby, <laughs> as my three-year-old niece would say. Um, and uh, and I was just totally charmed because it is lovely. And it's also interesting to see a um, an animated series for kids that is so clearly based specifically in a particular environment. These are specifically Irish animals that you get on the you know on the islands around Ireland. If cast your mind back, if you will, to the um, to Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I know you enjoyed doing that, Ben. I do that every think, single day. Think of Skellig Michael. Think of that that um, island that Luke is on. Think of those kind of you know that that's environment basically is Puffin Rock. That is essentially Puffin Rock. The reason they came up with Porgs is to so they could paint over all the puffins that they couldn't otherwise easily remove from the background of those scenes. So um so yeah it's it's very nice again how specific it is, how grounded it is, and and just how lovely again. I mean I would say I'm desperate now to see Cartoon Saloon do Porg Rock, uh, <laughs> but we already got their Star Wars crossover because another way, hopefully, that they will get that wider, you know, international recognition is they did their short for Star Wars Visions season two, Screech's Reach, which is an incredible, incredible short. And I love that when they do something like that, when they're teaming up with Lucasfilm, they still really rooted their story in Irish folklore. They told like a banshee, a scary banshee story in the realm of Star Wars mm. and still kind of rooted it in that folklore and mythology and in their incredible, really beautiful art style, which they lean very heavily on textures, like watercolour textures or in something like Wolfwalkers, the really like scratchy pencil textures uh, really has such a characteristic flair to the animation itself, to the art style. I think what's interesting is that you sort of know a cartoon saloon thing when you see it, but also I think all of their projects do actually look quite distinctly yeah. different. They manage to create some kind of signature style. I think they have quite signature character models, very like rounded faces, big round eyes, lots of symmetry in their work that comes through in either compositions or in character models as well. And yet the you know the 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 tools that they're using to create these images feel really different each time. I, mm. I love that when you see one of their films, you don't quite know what you're going to get on a visual level. Absolutely, and and I think you're absolutely right. It's very strong shapes as well. These geometric shapes, loads of spirals, obviously, and that is a a sort of recurring theme in Irish art. So you get a lot of that in Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea, and in Wolfwalkers. My God, when she goes into the woods in Wolfwalkers, there's just kind mm. of spirals everywhere, and all these Irish art shapes. Um, but also in something like The Breadwinner, which is kind of an outlier. It's not the you know the Irish milieu, but um, 
or a fantasy milieu like my father's dragon, but it has again taken its inspiration from traditional art and um, from sort of Islamic and pre-Islamic art. And that is again fascinating the way that they've incorporated that into the whole. Yeah, and it's there's something about the sort of the the universal and the specificity kind of thing, you know, that the that something like uh yeah, an Irish traditional approach to animation can be applied to this very, very uh, culturally distinct story set in Afghanistan, you know, and this uh, young girl, you know, dealing with the war on terror. You know, this is something miles apart in geographically and figuratively from, from Ireland. But those two sort of styles married so well together and yeah you you can still recognize that as a cartoon saloon film it with everything you've just said it has that that the, those geometric shapes and those abstract backgrounds and the the character models and the really distinct look to it um yeah the breadwinner actually is a really beautiful film i think i don't mm. think enough people have seen it um even among cartoon saloon fans it's um yeah really underrated and what do we call those saloon heads? Is there, there may be a name for them. I don't know. <laughs> Saloonies? <laughs> Saloonies. I'm loony for saloony. Um, yeah, no, I think I think the breadwinner was superb. And again, kind of heartbreaking film. And Wolfwalkers, I think maybe their masterpiece so far. I think it's it's an example of what they do really well in in other films, notably The Secret of Kells, which is mixing different animation styles for different moments in the story. Um so the town scenes are a completely different style, really, from from when they go into the forest. But then marrying the two halves of this world so well and showing what happens when you cross from one to the other and actually illuminating a, a piece of Irish history that is very little talked about and uh, that even I didn't know very much about. Interesting fun fact, uh, Oliver Cromwell is still hated in Ireland. He was responsible for a man-made famine that killed more people than, as a percentage of the population than the quote-unquote great famine, than the potato famine. Uh, he, he killed about half the population by the time he was done. Um, it is still quite hard to book a hotel room in Ireland with the surname Cromwell, I've been told. Um, wow. And you will, you will meet very few Irish people called Oliver to this day. So... Um, so yeah, it was interesting to see that background used really effectively, but also really truthfully for this story. I think that kind of specificity is is part of the magic here. As we say, you know, I didn't know that level of history with wolf walkers and truly how terrible uh, the English were to Ireland in that period of history. And to present that through folklore through an animated film that will absolutely work for kids mm. because it's centered on a girl who becomes a wolf at night you know it centers on something that's really kind of fantastical and relatable for for kids to watch but that comes infused with all of this history to tell it in that in that way again i think does strike the Ghibli chord a bit in terms of so many of those Ghibli films, they introduce you to certain, not even necessarily bits of history, but certain bits of cultural viewpoints um, that are so intrinsic in that culture, but that unless you encountered it in this kind of story, you probably wouldn't, as an external observer, know those things. Mm -hmm. I think the storytelling becomes a really great avenue for expressing that cultural identity um and yeah that comes through really strongly in wolf walkers but in, in tons of their stories as well i love the way that they 
go into the selkie mythology and song of the oh, sea yeah um and you know really the, the you feel the sea spray in that film you you feel the coastal nature of it i think they really seem to love expressing different elements of nature in in ireland through those films and and just to go back to wolf walkers the i mean the 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 innovation of that film is is actually really amazing i mean they had this thing they called wolf vision you know the scenes where you're you're seeing things from the perspective of the wolf character uh and they really played with those animation styles i think they i think they visualized it in 3d at first in like computer and then they like i think basically just printed out stuff from the computers and then went and the animators went over it in charcoal you know so it's really like bringing together these quite modern techniques with very very traditional techniques you know there's the influence from like woodcut art and all of this sort of thing that has been happening in ireland for centuries mm. and you see that throughout you know there's there's like the, the secret of cows is very much you know that like you were talking about the book of cows helen it's the yeah. the art style is very much influenced by it and it's sort of in conversation with it since and it goes and it goes back and forth between the sort of the the irish world the forest world the spirit world if you like but also these invading vikings and you've suddenly got all these reds and blacks and completely different animation style so it, it really you get the feel of of the invasion you get the feel mm. of outsiders sort of coming in and trying to impose on the natural world okay cards on the table what is your favorite so far i'm gonna say song of the sea i don't know if that's just because it's the first love thing it was the thing that really hooked me onto it and there's just so much like sheer beauty in that film but the thing that struck me about their star wars shorts and the thing i really hope they do at some point because they do take risks tonally um as you say breadwinner is you know a slightly harder edged film it's a 12a it's not really a kids movie the thing they do in the star wars short is it's scary the banshee stuff is really scary i want to see a cartoon saloon folk horror movie please Ooh. do that next <laughs> if they do that that would probably become my favorite but for now song of the sea for me all right john how about you yeah i it's a tough one i think i might go secret of the kells it's it's just really unbelievably beautiful um but then they all are i i mean honorable mention to puffin rock uh because mm. you know who doesn't love puffins uh but <laughs> but yes i i it's i i don't think they've made a bad film that's the thing i think mm. i've seen all of their films and they are all just brilliant um mm. so yeah, yeah it's it's like choosing your favorite child it, it is a little bit. I mean, I, I love dragons, so I'm tempted to say My Father's Dragon purely on that basis. Uh, I'm tempted by uh, Secret of Kells as well, which I just think is jaw-droppingly gorgeous, as you say. I'm going to say Wolfwalkers because I feel like, so far, it feels like everything just working in sympathy. And in terms of what I'd like to see for them, from them in future, I, want, I actually do want more Irish mythology. I would love to see them tackle something really crazy and big there's something called the Red Branch Cycle, which is kind of Ireland's Iliad. That's what I would like to see, ideally. Um, but really, I'm here for whatever they want to do. It's all nice. 
I'm I'm curious to see where the sketch of me goes next. I think there's, that's there's some real <laughs> That's the real question. Yeah. <laughs> there's some real big narratives to be unfold there. Their true greatest work is the sketch of John. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you very much to John Nugent. Thank you. Mostly for showing us your sketch, not of, really for yeah, anything yeah, yeah. you said, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks to Ben Travis. Thank you. Goodbye. And we'll see you soon. Rejoin us for the regular Empire podcast, obviously every Friday. Um, and uh, look out for more interview specials, spoiler specials, and general specials in future. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye bye.